Hello, and welcome to Marathon Swim Stories, where we connect with marathon swimmers around the world to find out how they got started, what makes them tick, and why they keep going. It's where we explore the human side of the superhuman feats of endurance swimmers, the connections that we have with each other, our support crew, and the waters we cross. If you've ever stood at the edge of a body of water and wondered what it would be like to swim to the other side, you're in good company. I'm Shannon Keegan, marathon swimmer, water relationship coach, and founder of Intrepid Water, where I virtually teach swimming freedom. Freedom to get started, shed the confines of the pool, or your preconceived notions of what's possible. Find out more at intrepidwater.com. I recently shared a blog post about my preparations for and experiences at the Scar Swim Challenge a few months ago. And I got a few emails back. One of those was from Stephen Munitonis, which surprised me. He was a little taken aback, I think, by my approach and suggested a, a conversation, which I thought might be a good idea probably worth it to take some time to explain myself. I mean, who goes into SCAR without ramping up their swimming to some crazy weekly mileage usually done in the pool because the swim's in April, right? I can confidently say that I did not do that going into SCAR. Best of all, I swam all four swims without needing to pop a single pill to manage shoulder pain or anything like that. And I'm quite proud of this fact. I've worked really hard with my coach, Tracy Bauman, to completely change my swimming stroke so that I swim 100% pain-free. I'm a little bit frightened about how accepted shoulder injury and pain management is in swimming and probably even more so in marathon swimming. And it's important to me for people to know that there is another option. There is a way to swim completely safely on your joints. I'll put a link to the blog post in the show notes, as well as my community that I'm building on Mighty Networks. We're all about getting better. I like to say better in every sense of the word. I recently went live in the network to talk about kind of the difference between learning goals and performance goals and how we might be limiting ourselves if we are just pursuing performance goals and really just trying to beat the last time that we swam. We actually need to be understanding what we're doing in between when the clock starts and when it stops. And this is uh, very much what I like to focus on in my swimming that we get into in a little bit in today's conversation. Personally, I'd like to discover what's possible in the water when we let go of distance and time goals in our training. Not that those things can't come in from time to time, But on a day-to-day basis, I think it can be quite limiting. And it's this curiosity that drives me to train the way that I do. I hope you enjoy my conversation today with Stephen Mintones. 
I'm here today with Stephen Munitones. How do I do on your last name? Yes, perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Practicing. <laughs> we saw each other at SCAR, and last year we did the tables turn where I was interviewing him, but he bravely read my entire blog post that I posted a few weeks ago, and uh, we decided we'd uh, trade mics and let him interview me this time. <laughs> How are you today, Stephen? <laughs> I read your blog post on SCAR, and you know, for 99% of the people who are listening, they understand what it is, but summarize it it's four lakes in arizona and it's various distances it's a stage from so day one day two day three and day four and what was most impressed about me reading shannon's blog post was how little she swam and how much she enjoyed the journey and how satisfied rightly so that she completed the swim so when i read that i said I don't know anybody who does SCAR who trains as little as you. And so my question to you is, what was your philosophy? What was your mindset in training for a 60-kilometer, 40-mile, four-day stage swim? Yeah, <laughs> it's a good question. And one thing that I don't want to underestimate or underplay is the amount of the years I've been Building up my confidence is the way I talk to my swimmers about it, is you need confidence building swims so that you can really trust yourself when you come to a big event like this. And I built a huge amount of confidence when in my Lake George swim last year, knowing that I basically, with the technique that I'd honed through very strategic swimming practices, I knew I could just keep going but there were these other factors of having to do it day after day, having to deal with really cold starts. And so I needed, I knew I needed to train those components, which is another thing I tell any of my swimmers is like, you need to break down the components of your swim. You know, if it's cold, if it's at night, if it's going to be wavy, windy, current, you know, like those are things that we want to add to your training plan to ensure that you're kind of at least prepared or whatever. There's, you know, there's lots of ways you can handle it. So because I had the confidence in my ability to just straight endure <laughs> from that Lake George swim, it became more about maintaining my, I call it kind of quality speeds, like maintaining my form as I pick up my tempo, because I knew I was going to need to run my engine a little hotter. It's like for the kind of the cold starts and just knowing that the water was, we were starting at what, 50, 55 or like 13 C, right? Give or take. <laughs> I, got, I, I was a little skeptical of Kent's readings. Yes. <laughs> it felt pretty, pretty chilly at those starts, especially with as hot as the days were. But I knew that I was going to need to be able to, you know, get have some turnover to, like I said, run my engine a little hotter. So I definitely focused on my kind of cold tolerance, which is something I've been working on for the last few years is swimming through the winter. Not swimming necessarily. I really just have turned it into cold water dipping just because of uh, time constraints. As you know, if you and I have talked before, I've got two little kids. They're not as little anymore. They're six and eight now, but it's been a very big part of my journey in leaning on the confidence of myself and my body in the water to not have to have, the, have a distance goal or a time goal that by letting go of the distance and time pressures, I'm able to really focus on what my body's doing in the water. And then you, then I can get more, kind of more consistently achieving these specific shapes that are, I've, are joint safe and I can promote my longevity and I'm getting off track here. But so the, the cold dips 
is a way of just really understanding what happens in my body when I get cold, you know, and and just dealing with the discomfort of that. I think it's acknowledging that it's uncomfortable and doing it anyway is this great little mental shift <laughs> to have for people looking to do more, colder, longer, all these things, as well as really just feeling what it feels like in your body to be cold and to know if the cold's, I think I wrote in there, like penetrating you deeply, or is it just a sensation that you're having, if that could actually be two different things. But I think that that knowledge of how your body feels in the cold is really empowering in that situation where you're uncomfortable, you're cold, but you know that you're going to be turning your arms over and moving your engine. So I, I think that the dips really help inform a cold water swim. So the two things I focused on in my training was basically quality speed. So turning my, maintaining my swimming technique as I was picking up my turnover and then just doing my cold acclimatization, maintaining that all winter long. Before we jump into sort of that mindset that you're explaining and then the stroke technique that you were refining and then the total, the sort of the time restraints that you're facing as the mother of two, six and eight year olds. Take us through your typical day or typical week of both family obligations, your coaching business, your blogging business, your podcasting business, and your opportunity to train. Just sort of time, you know, what days do you train? How long do you train? Where do you train? So we, so now we can understand that. So then we can delve into your mindset and the physiology. Right. Yeah, yeah. So... Uh, my kids go to a great school that I can walk to. So I feel like I get a little time back by not having to like drive them anywhere. And I, I guess I, I have the luxury of an endless pool in my backyard, which I put in intentionally when I was pregnant with my second son, because I knew that I wanted to keep marathon swimming, but that I, making it to go swim at a pool six or eight miles away wasn't necessarily always going to happen. So I basically, <laughs> I don't, uh, this I, I I would love to say, you know, I have a pool in my backyard. I get up and I swim every day, but I don't. I, do, I wake up, I make my kids breakfast, I pack their lunch, I walk them to school. I come home and, you know, go through whatever emails I've got from the day before. Uh, sometimes it's a, a lunchtime, but usually it's like, oh, I got to pick the kids up in 30 minutes. I better go get in the pool really quick before I go pick them up. And in the style that I've learned to maintain my stroke, it's I pick three cues that I'm going to focus on and I'm trying to build the habits around those cues, like if we, we get into that later. But um, so it's a str very strategic 20 minute swim, quick shower, run, usually pick the kids up really? five minutes late. <laughs> yeah. So you've got your day sort of both planned and unscheduled activity and you plug in that. 20 or 30 minutes where you can. Yeah. And I'd love to be better about that, but that's the reality. It's like, I'm always like, oh, I'll do it before they wake up or I'll do it at a certain time, but it's something I'm working on <laughs> being consistent. <laughs> what about the weekends? Are there, are there any more or less time for you to train on the weekends as opposed to the weekdays? Uh, yeah, I guess so. It's my husband's he works in the medical field and he'll be on call sometimes. So like his schedule definitely kind of runs the household and, so I don't, I, there aren't longer swims. They're going into SCAR. There definitely weren't any longer swims at all. Sometimes I'll set aside like a, we did, I did go to Mexico in the month before. So what would that have been? March. 
but I didn't really even swim anything longer than a mile there. It was very much just getting used to being in the salt and wow. being in the waves and, and, and actually applying what I'd been working on in the pool just, just to not have to deal with the being in a pool. So I don't know that I did any, because the water was just, it's just the open water was just too cold here to do anything. And I didn't really have the time or anything on the weekends. Yeah. So I didn't do much longer at all. So really, it's definitely just that spontaneous 20 to 30 minutes. Wow. And then you were mentioning on uh, your stroke technique. I saw a photo of you, a beautiful photo. It was an underwater shot. So it was the perspective was you swimming. Your finger placement was optimal. Your hand was firm. Your body alignment was great. And I'm thinking, what a beautiful stroke for a marathon swimmer. But did that come naturally to you? Or had you been working on that? What did, what did you do? I mean, that was a great photo. Yeah, it's, that's all I'm ever doing when I'm in the pool is focusing on making that shape with my body. So with the swim mastery philosophy that I adopted last year, because uh, I was facing, I'd been a coach for several years, and I kind of always had this routine of doing a big long swim, taking a big break afterwards, and then like building back up with various drills and whatever in the fall before my next maybe big swim the next year. And there was a year where the building back up wasn't going well. I was still having pain despite really focusing on what I thought I needed to be focusing on. So I engaged in uh, coaches training with swim mastery, learning their fundamental skills. And they advocate a lot for joint safety. And it was it was hugely transformative to my stroke, my coaching, my everything to adopt that style of swimming. And it's all about finding shapes with your body in the water and honing your, I guess I like to think of it as your acuity for consistently achieving those shapes. And because it shapes, our brains really love to like make visualizations and, and latch onto that. And so little things I'd had problems with for years, like dropping elbows and you know, wrist break, you know, your wrist breaking is really common when you'll see people do it because they're getting ready to catch. And so they, they, they bend their wrist. All that stuff would go away when I was just making these, um, there's like basically three shapes. And then we kind of bring things together with synchronizations and timing. And that's what I do in my 10 to 20 minutes. So if we think about swimming, if you break it down to the habit, a, a habit, each thing is a motor habit and we're relearning the motor habits. We have this great method for I call I tell my swimmers it's a it's a hack because <laughs> it kind of is for building motor habits, but it takes focus and attention to every little movement that you're making in the water and being aware. You know, it's funny when you watch people do things because I teach a lot virtually too. When when you watch people in the camera and they'll move their hand, but then their like their head will go with their body, and so we have to learn how to move move those things independently. The head can stay still and the arm moves. And when people you know start to get it, it's a beautiful thing to watch. I just I just love it. So that I think that answers the question about what, what we're doing in the water. So does that that very conscious focused concentration that you're doing, does that make the 20, 30 minutes go by faster or slower? Oh, what a great question. I think just like anything else, it depends on the day. I definitely have days where it feels like I can't get it, you know, like you just like the, the cue I'm using, I'm just not able to feel like I can get it consistently. But that commonly means I'm distracted because I can have days where that 20 minutes can fly by, but it's because because I'm actually giving it the focus it deserves, right? So it's so interesting. 
yeah, it's just, you know, our brains are just, they're so powerful. And it's so, and if I'm thinking about, oh, is it, do I need to leave yet? Or what's for dinner tonight or whatever? It's like, that's gonna end up making everything less, less fun <laughs> with, in, in the water experience. Did you know that there's more to swimming than just putting one arm in front of the other? You've developed a series of habits over your time in the water. How are those habits serving you? If you'd like to swim faster, but feel like nothing you do in your training helps, or perhaps you're inspired to swim further, but it doesn't seem possible, let me know. You are biologically wired for change, but you can't do the same thing that you've always done. It's time for something different. I've created a six-week program to rewire your brain to swim freestyle efficiently, suitable for any level of swimmer. Check out intrepidwater.com to find out more about my Introduction to Freestyle Fundamentals, self-paced, and group coaching programs, or email me for details, shannon at intrepidwater.com. So you trained your body in this endless pool, and now you go over to Arizona, completely foreign atmosphere. I mean, here you're in Oregon, the state of Oregon, in an endless pool in your backyard, and all of a sudden you're in the middle of a desert. Was there any kind of mental adjustment that you had to make to maintain that stroke in the, in the very windy uh, lakes that we were going through? Well, yeah, for sure. And then I guess I'd say, you know, lean back a little bit on having a lot of experience in open water. But what I tell my swimmers and what's, which is just the case is like the cues follow you wherever you go. So they, it's like, even if it's windy or wavy or there's a boat near you, like you can still focus, have that same focus of that shape. And we want to still find it, even if you're being blown around. So it's, I think it can be centering in in a way, but I will tell you, <laughs> Stephen, that that I did have a lot of trouble swimming straight <laughs> because because the, because I would. It's like there's there's the finding of the cues, but then there's like implementing it consistently and being beside a kayaker, and then like you said, you're winding through the canyons and a wave wave runner runs by, and so it was. Um, it's not always, I guess, easy to maintain the focus, but it it's always something that you can strive for, I would say. And that's kind of the beautiful thing about it. But again, it was a four-day swim. Were there any particular days that were easier or harder that you found? I loved Canyon. I just, something about it I, was kind of clicking for me. I don't know if it was like I knew it was going to be colder, so I felt like I needed to go like a little bit faster. I wasn't nervous because I wasn't I wasn't as nervous day one. I was in your wave and wave three. And so that kind of set me in a weird space mentally. But then wave two, I kind of felt like I was in the middle of the pack where I'm used to being. <laughs> and I don't know what it was exactly about Canyon. I guess every you know everyone talks about it just being the most beautiful lake and I'd never seen it before. And so I um, felt like that one was particularly a really fun swim for me. And the least fun for me was probably Roosevelt because I think I just had fatigued <laughs> mentally and physically and and was just trying to get through the whole time. <laughs> and it was, I kept getting like little wood chips in my teeth and stuff. It's yes. so nasty. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I make a conscious effort to close my mouth yeah. when my, uh, my mouth is in, under the water. But I don't know how these wood chips or 
twigs, whatever was in, were entering my mouth. It was, it was quite irritating. <laughs> it I had never experienced that before in my life. And, uh, and, and we're doing it in the dark. Right, exactly. <laughs> it was super weird. Yeah, and I'm totally with you. I was like, I know my mouth is closed. Why do I keep getting wood chips in my teeth? <laughs> uh, yeah. How, what about your lower body and your kick? Were you kicking at a two-beat, four-beat? Again, that photo that you had in your blog post was just, was so nice. But what were, were, you, were you thinking about your kick in any, any particular way, the hip placement? Uh, yeah. So the main thing I focus on is staying connected from my head down to my toes. And for me, in that enduring situation where I'm push- where I'm swimming further, I don't ever muster more than a to-be-press, we call it, in Swim Mastery. I think that's actually a big thing to in the on the training spectrum that it's like if I operate as a my machine, my swimming machine is a kicking and pulling machine. I've got to train that kicking and pulling ability to make it to endure for longer. Whereas if I'm we talk about using our uh, torsos, our engine, and just it's just shifting your weight from side to side, and so it's coordinating that press of your foot with your catch of your arm and. And it's much less effort, which I think is why you can get away with much less training. Granted, I'm not making it to the top three in any race anytime soon with the current machine that I've tuned, but that we kind of focus on uh, what we do with our legs. It's like there's a time and a place when you might need to sprint and do a flutter, but it isn't something that I've honed in my training at all. I've definitely just focused on a two-beat press, which would be same as a two-beat kick. We just don't say the word kick because a kick implies the motion with the knee, which, as you know, can be devastating for like triathletes trying to kick with their knee. Like You don't go anywhere, right? So we focus on it as a press and it coming from the leg bones. It's um, We have a lot better success with, with swimmers in adopting it. As all SCAR swimmers know, we start at one dam location and we swim across the lake to the, to the next dam. And typically the water temperature in the beginning of the dam, because there's some upwellings and everything is, is a lot colder than other parts of the dam. How did you deal with that? I know I had a lot of problems with dealing with <laughs> cold, but you know, were you welcoming it? What was your mindset when you jumped in and, you know, my breath was taken away. What about you? Yeah, for sure. It was I think I feel like I got kind of like cold fatigue by the third day. Somehow Apache felt worse. I don't know if it was actually colder, but it felt worse just having to do it kind of again. <laughs> but in general, I felt like I had a really good mindset about the cold. And it had I think it had a lot to do with that. I knew it would warm up. I, and I knew the sun was on my back. And that was like, even if I couldn't actually feel it, I like to think that I can. And so it's not like though any of those mental tricks when it comes to cold, I think it's so important because as soon as you start letting the cold thoughts in, they're hard to get out. So it's like, I just pump myself up with all the positivity of it's going to get warmer and it's going to, you know, and the sun's on your back and... <laughs> It was interesting just thinking back to Saguaro and Canyon because we would have the pockets, right? You'd have a pocket of cold and then you'd have a pocket of warm and you're like, oh my God, this feels so good. And then it would end and you're just like, oh no, come back. I want that warmth again. It was interesting, but I um, I felt like that was kind of where the cold, the cold, I guess, acclimatization I'd done, even though it wasn't 
actual swim training in cold, uh, even just the dipping, I felt like just had had paid off, if nothing else mentally, even just thinking that I'd set myself up for it is enough to have better success than thinking that I hadn't. I don't know. You Were you swimming in that you'd planned to swim all winter in the ocean? Did that do what yes, you were able and, to do and, that? Uh, you know, I'm from Southern California. So the water did get down to 54, you know, down here a few for a few weeks. But I could have sworn, and I'll, I'll agree with Peter Hayden's watch that measured Apache at 51.5 degrees, so a little <laughs> over 10 degrees. I, when he said that, I was like, oh my God. And I jumped in and my breath was taken away and I could have sworn I would not have been able to swim more than five minutes. Yeah. But what I liked about um, SCAR, what I love about SCAR is, yeah, there's 60 people there. So there's 60 solo swimmers. Yes, it is a race, if you will, but it's really 60 solo swims done four times by these people. So 240 individual swims. But what you impressed me on is it was in 2014, you were escorted by your husband. Obviously, you know each other well, but this year you completed all the swims with a kayaker you never met. (laughs) I mean, you met the first time. So how does someone like you, an experienced swimmer, work with someone you've never met before, you, you know, you, obviously you're talking to one another, but how did that go throughout the four lakes? Well, I guess the difference between having have my husband as a kayaker versus, and some people's husbands maybe want to be their kayaker. My husband ne- doesn't necessarily want to, but knowing that the person is there voluntarily helps me, I guess, I just okay. being the kind of person I am, I want everyone to be having a good time. And so if I know that they're volunteering, I guess it gives, it makes me feel like, okay, they're, um, they want to be here. Um, but can we, with, with regard to communicating to them, you know, I think we, you know, we'd had a, a few, several email exchanges that gave me an idea of the kind of person she was. And she was the kind of, she was so excited about going there. She'd booked our reservation at Apache, like before it had even crossed my mind. So it's like, there was so many signs that like she was in it. And like that, I think that helps versus if you're communicating with a volunteer kayaker and never hearing from them, of course. But specifically, I guess I don't, I think of the communication that we had as far as just, it's just feed timing. And then I don't really, she was giving me reports of my stroke count and stuff, which is not something that I've craved that little piece of data. But I'm I'm also thinking too, because our conditions were so pristine, we never got to a situation because I've had situations where you're, you know, your kayaker is like drifting off. Like if you don't have good hand signals and stuff. So like as a coach, I recommend that my swimmers, you know, train with their kayakers in advance, you know, develop hand signals for, you know, whatever, all the things that we want to develop hand signals. But we didn't, I didn't have to do any of that with Jillian just because she, I think she she'd been trained really well by some of the other kayakers there. And like, so I don't, I feel like we didn't really communicate anything other than um, when to feed. And yeah, I don't have a, I don't go in with this, with some amazing like strategy of like changing anything. I'm always just getting to the other side. It sounds like both of you are very comfortable with one another, very comfortable, very respectful and very passionate to finish. Is that? Yeah, I, I would, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think, but again, not having known her <laughs> at all prior to, I, but yeah, but we, I think we had a level of, you could, we had an unspoken level of respect for one another going in. Like she knew that I was, whatever, she 
seen swimmers at SCAR before. So she had that helped probably too, that she knew the SCAR course and things like that. I don't know that she did done with one other person, but. So what advice do you give swimmers who may not know who their kayaker is before? I mean, how do you, how do you put them at ease? What's the best way to educate them on the things that you want? If you have specific needs, <laughs> identifying them and communicating them, whether it's written or otherwise, I think is can be really helpful when it when push comes to shove. Because it, I guess personally, I'm not that great at advocating for myself. If it was if somebody like doesn't feed on time or whatever, I'm always just because I'm so glad they're there. I'd, I'm not. I don't know. I don't do a good enough job. It's something I'm working on. But I've heard of people and would recommend to my service, like having a, a pretty clear feed plan. And especially if you're changing st- feeds throughout, make sure that the bottles are clearly labeled. You know, Kent actually documents that really well, I think, in in his scar ma- materials about, you know, make sure it's a different shape bottle or size bottle or whatever. But I guess I kind of, on a swim of those durations, I didn't really have anything interesting <laughs> to communicate. But but I think having, you know, a, a feed plan and... um going over it with your kayaker ahead of time is really helpful. One thing that just popped in my head was like one of the feeds, I think it was Canyon toward the end. And I kind of waved her off because she's like, this is probably the last feed or the, the finish is right there. And I waved her off and like never skip your last feed because it's never as close as you think it is. And that's something I would communicate in advance to my kayakers in, in the future is like, never let me wave off my last feed. You know, no matter what, make sure you take it. Did you um, hit any mental or physical crisis during the, the four swims? No, I feel like the physical stuff is becomes a, it's like a feedback loop. If I have pain, then I've, I'm doing something wrong in my stroke and I can troubleshoot that in the, in the moment. So I don't have any physical crises. Um, mentally, I felt like I was really good until the last day. I, the cues honestly are like my guiding light when I'm swimming. And I, I mean, I'd like to find um one of my swimmers was talking to me uh, and i've talked to several people actually about kind of really finding that flow state and i'm still working out for myself like how to how to get there and i think it does require a little bit more consistent training to kind of yeah like develop like i talk about the consistently achieving like these shapes with your body but like to to get that consistency i think requires the consistency on the front end and then that can kind of enable you to kind of find that flow state. And I'm, um, that's my new work is to get back to that space where the time evaporates and the next thing you know, you're on the other end. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you find that in your swimming? Do you get the yeah. flow state? Yeah. You know, with, you're at SCAR, you're with the 60 people and then, and then uh, the 60 kayakers and then Kent has this unbelievable crew of volunteers and it's a big circus of people circus in the in the most positive sense going from lake to lake and and as i look around and all the swimmers they're smiling they're chit-chatting but i remember seeing you before each of the swims and after the swims and you seem so serene so at peace was that just a facade or were you a little bit nervous uh under the hood what i mean but you you look so tranquil before <laughs> and after the swims you had this Really nice, genuine smile, broad, you know, it was really nice to see. Someone like you gave me a lot of confidence that, okay, everything's going to be okay today. Good. Yeah, that's what I want. 
I think there is some serenity that I find at times, but I have the same monkey brain, you know, (laughs) squawking for me sometimes too. Like, you know, are you good enough? Should you be here? You know, that comes up. But I think I practice a lot of trying to go to that tranquil space and definitely projecting that out. And I feel so grateful that I've had the opportunity to speak to so many people in our community because it makes going to an event like that just feel like like a you know it's like a family reunion with or I mean it's it was such a gift to be able to see some people in person for the first time or have people say that they've you know heard marathon swim stories and and that I should keep recording them you know just all that stuff it was I felt yeah, I just I feel an immense amount of gratitude to have the opportunity to be able to do the swimming that we do and to be able to make the connections that we're able to make. And, you know, I think I think we all are striving just to be better, you know, be better humans. And it's really neat that we found a vehicle to do that through something so beautiful as swimming. Yeah. Well, again, your you, the the article that you wrote was just spot on. The photos that you provided were just so educational. Everything about when I saw you, the, the ambiance that you had around you was great. Um, you know, the only, the only sad thing that I, that was lacking and, and Kent is, Kent Nicholas, the race director has been very upfront is day four, when we're all swimming in the pitch darkness and we finish the swim, we get up to the dock, we put the kayaks away and then everybody goes away. There's actually no like closure. The closure is hitting the dock, getting dry, getting dressed and heading out. But you provided closure for me because you wrote that great article on your own experience. And it was just, I advise everybody to read that because you're providing such a great service for your marathon swim stories. And, and as you said, making those connections. And then when you do meet someone that you only know through Facebook or through email and you meet them face to face, it was like, oh, you're actually better in person. <laughs> Yeah, right. Or on an email or social media. So I just want to thank you, A, for participating, B, training the way you do. I mean, I think you've certainly opened up my eyes to what is really possible. Yeah, some people train more than others, but you took what you had in front of you, you know, with kids, you know, all the things that you do when you wake up to you go to bed and you made it work for you. And I think sharing in your lifestyle and, and your daily activity is something that you made work for you. And it's an example of what all of us can also make work for ourselves. And so, you know, if there's any bits of advice, how you did that, or you want to share, I, I'd love to hear it again. I don't know anything specific on the spot. It's a very generous comment, and it makes me think that I need to share share more because it's it's uh, that also takes time. But yeah, I just love helping people discover what they can do with their body in the water, and it takes a lot of not just going through the motions. I think that's kind of our tendency as humans is to kind of find something that works and just keep doing it and doing it and doing it, and so like taking the time to just stop and roll over on your back and you know, look at the stars or 
or I always <laughs> do this sometimes at the end of my swim where I roll on my back and I try to see if I can see all the way to space, you know, like you can't, but of course, but it's just looking through all the blue and, or I don't know, it's just taking those moments to really pause and appreciate what a gift everything is for where, I don't know, we're so, we're so lucky to be yeah. here this day, this place. And then the last question I have is, okay, here you are, a mom with two kids, husband, you made a beautiful home in Oregon, but now you're in Arizona all by yourself. I mean, there's other people around, your kayaker, et cetera. And when you finish, what's the first thing or what are the most important things you want to share with your family when you call them or text them? It would be interesting for us to hear. <laughs> yeah. What, you know, they, you want, I know you want them with you, but yeah. school and work, you know, come in the way. Well, what is it that you shared with them? I think I just try to relay my, I guess, my gratitude. I always keep coming back to this, but it, like for them, it's not the, you know, they, my at six and eight, they know that I love swimming and they know it's important to me. If they're there though, I worry so much about what they're doing and their well-being. It's actually helpful for me to be able to have that opportunity for myself to kind of really immerse myself in the experience. But okay. when I when I see and talk to them, you know, it's I just try to tell them about all the the cool stuff. I mean, I have two little boys, so I'm like, there's a dam, and you know, the <laughs> their water comes out, whatever. Like they that um, they're not as interested in the nuts and bolts of the actual swimming. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, thank you very much for participating in the race and and really enhancing it. And and your article really was a, a great read. And a great educational insight of what's mm. possible. Thanks. Thank you. I appreciate that. And let's advocate for like a Sunday breakfast. Maybe we can uh, <laughs> get people to stay till the morning for closure. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Kent and his crew do so much. Work. Be like, yeah. I mean, it's amazing. And, <laughs> you know, I think a lot of people who have followed Scar understand what happened in day one. Day one, you know, uh, Shannon, you and I were. In um, heat three, so heat one was there, heat two was there, heat three was there. We're separated by what Kent perceives as, as speed. He wants everybody to finish roughly together. And we show up, and I think we're all get there a little bit earlier than we normally would. And then we're waiting for hours, right. hours and hours and hours. And I'm thinking something's probably wrong, but it's okay. Kent has it under control. Can you explain what went wrong? I mean, it was shocking to me when I when I heard what happened. Yeah. So my understanding was that the water they released some water overnight from the dam and all of the paddles and several of the kayaks floated away from the from the, the staging beach. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. And he still pulled it off. And, and he still pulled it off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what, so what, what those guys do, what, what his wife does, I mean, it, it's really incredible. And I encourage anybody if they're into marathon swimming or if they want to just have more experience as a, as a kayaker, as a volunteer, as a crew member, man, SCAR is unbelievable. It's, it, it's a good time of the year. It's in April, end of April. Yeah. And so and <laughs> if you're looking for a summer channel swim, summer marathon swim, this is a great place to gain some experience and gain a lot of friends. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Very cool. Thank you so much, Stephen. I appreciate it. 
I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you were inspired by even just a moment of this story, please share it with a friend. You never know what might push someone out of their comfort zone so that they can find out what they're capable of. And please leave a review with your podcast provider. It truly helps others discover the raw and honest stories of these amazing endurance swimmers. Thanks for listening.